especially grateful to have so many people visiting with our church family today. I want to begin the lesson, this second sermon this morning, by asking you a question. And I don't want you to answer this question out loud, but I do want you to answer it in your mind. Do you like, you like to, do you like to plant stuff? You like to plant stuff, you like to put stuff in the ground and watch it grow. For me personally, that is not my thing at all, but it was for my grandfather. It was for my grandfather who raised me in East Texas. My grandfather who raised me in East Texas, he loved, he loved to plant stuff. He loved to put stuff in the ground and watch it grow. I remember as a little boy, looking out the window and, and seeing him plant various kinds of flowers around the house and always growing grass and planting various kinds of bushes and trees. My grandfather loved, he loved to plant things, but he didn't love it as much as, as my great-grandmother did. You see, my great-grandmother died at 92 years old in 1994, when I was just 11 years old. You know what we used to call my great-grandmother? We used to call her Big Mama. Big Mama. Now, you may laugh about that, but don't be a hypocrite because you know you've got some funny nicknames of people in your family, too. <laughs> we all got some funny nicknames for people who are in our family. We called my great-grandmama Big Mama. Big Mama raised 16 kids on a farm in the little town of Goodrich, Texas. On this farm, Big Mama had everything. She had chickens, she had cows, pigs, horses, donkeys. She also had a big, beautiful garden that my grandmother who raised me has told me a lot about. In this garden, Big Mama grew collard greens, and she grew peanuts and tomatoes and potatoes and peppers and corn and cabbage and, and peas and okra and probably a hundred other things for several decades. My big mama fed her 16 kids and she raised many of her grandchildren and great-grandchildren directly from this garden. And let me tell you what none of those kids or grandkids ever did. None of those kids who were raised by Big Mama ever saw her put some seed in the ground, go to bed, and wake up the next morning and experience the final product. They never saw collard greens or tomatoes or peppers or potatoes or corn be grown overnight. All that stuff Big Mama planted. It took time. It took a lot of work and nurturing and cultivation. It required a lot of sunlight and water and the right kinds of temperature and a hundred other different kinds of things that I know nothing about. But for those of you who have farming experience, you know what that's about. You know that you don't get the wonderful results of a vegetable garden overnight. And the same is also true with with Christianity. The same is also true with discipleship. The same is also true with developing and, and maintaining the kind of hearts 
that God requires of us as his people. Brother Brian, he taught about that last month as he preached about the parable of the sower. Do you remember that? Remember in Matthew 13, where our scripture reading came from this morning, in the famous parable of the sower, Jesus uses a farming metaphor to teach a spiritual, a spiritual truth. He talks about a sower who plants seed and works a field. The field represents hearts. The field or the fields represents four different kinds of hearts or four different kinds of ways in which people will respond to the infallible word of God. The wayside field or the wayside soil, that represents the person who hears the word of God and immediately rejects it and is never converted. The rocky field represents the person who hears the word of God, believes it, is converted by it, but eventually, eventually that person is going to fall away. The thorny field or the thorny soil represents the Christian who doesn't fall away, who doesn't leave the Lord, who doesn't abandon the army of God, but they also don't bear any fruit. That part of the parable is talking about the person who, who merely fills a pew who just comes to church on Sunday and does nothing else. That's who Jesus is talking about there. And then the last field, well, the last field is the good one. The last field represents the disciple or the Christian who doesn't just receive the word of God into their hearts, but also grows, matures, lives a life that bears fruit to the glory of God. Again, Jesus uses a farming metaphor to describe the various ways in which people are going to respond to the gospel. And I hope we can all agree this morning that the only one, the only field that pleases God in this parable is the last one. The last field is the only one that pleases God. The last field is the only one that's productive. The last field is the only one that represents a heart that brings a produce that truly glorifies God. And if we believe this morning that that kind of produce or that kind of crop Jesus is talking about there occurs overnight, well, my big mama would tell us this morning if she was here that we need to think again. We need to understand that planting and producing crops doesn't work that way. It doesn't happen just like that. It doesn't happen overnight. Instead, it takes time. It takes patience. It takes continuing to work the field by nurturing it and cultivating it. In fact, when it comes to the field of our hearts, one of the things we got to do to cultivate that field and ensure that that seed grows properly is we got to keep learning. We got to keep studying. We got to keep watering that field with the word of God. Will you go into your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 this morning? Please go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. For those of you who are members of this congregation, you know that at least once a month, our shepherds, our elders, like for us to present a lesson that is directly tied to our theme. 
Our theme this year as a congregation is hand to the plow. For the first quarter of this year, we're talking about working the field of our hearts. Brother Brian last month talked about the first step in this and planting the seed in our hearts, which is the word of God. And today I want to further that theme, further that discussion by talking about the cultivation, the nurturing, the watering part in the process. We want to talk about that beginning right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, you being the good Bible students that you are, you know that the Corinthian church had a problem. One of the problems they had is they were, they were divided, right? This was a divided congregation. They were particularly divided over their favorite preachers, the preachers who baptized them. And Paul's going to deal with that directly here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4, he says, For when one says, I have a Paul, or I'm a disciple of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul's servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God causes the growth. I want you to notice carefully verse number six in this text. Notice how in verse number six, the apostle Paul talks about what Brian talked about last month. He talks about the planting step in the process. He talks about the initial step of planting the seed, which is the word of God. If we are Christians this morning, if we're disciples, we all, we all have done that step before in our lives. We all have had at least one person in our life plant the seed, which is the word of God into our hearts. Maybe it was your mother. Maybe it was your father, your grandparents, your cousin, a cousin, an aunt, an uncle, a classmate, a co-worker. I don't care who we are this morning. Someone did for us what Paul says he did for the Corinthians. But notice how the process, the process is not to stop there. The, the process is not supposed to end once the initial seed is planted. Paul says that in addition to having the seed planted in our hearts, well, the seed also has to be watered. It also has to be given the proper nutrients. This is certainly true of those who have yet to obey the gospel. I think that's what Paul is talking about specifically here in this context. But in addition to that, in addition to the non-Christian, this is also true of the Christian. This is also true of the person who is a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want you to go in your Bible to several verses. We're going to be working these Bibles pretty good today. So we want to go to Colossians. We want to go to Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 9, here Paul is speaking to Christians. He's speaking to disciples. And he says this to them. The church at Colossae, in Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 9, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, verse 10, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit. This is what we're talking about. 
bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Notice how if we're going to bear fruit for every good work, if we're going to please God in all respects, if we're going to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, Paul says at the end of verse 10, that we got to increase in our knowledge. In verse number nine, remember he said we got to be filled, filled up with the knowledge of the will of God. Paul here is talking about Christians continuing to learn the word of God throughout the course of their discipleship in Peter. Peter talks about this constantly throughout his epistles. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, please. We go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, towards the back of your Bible there. And Peter, again, he's speaking to Christians here. And in verse number 1, he says in verse 1, Therefore, putting aside all malice and deceit, and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that you may grow in respect to salvation. If you were to take some time later on today and go back up and read what Paul says at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you're going to find him using milk there as a metaphor just like Peter does here. Only Paul uses milk in a very different way than Peter does. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul uses milk there to rebuke the Corinthians for being spiritually immature. He is saying that the reason why they were divided over certain preachers was because they were little babies in Christ. They were still on milk. He uses milk there in a negative way to talk about spiritual immaturity. But here, Peter uses milk in a positive way. He says that just like a baby longs to be fed milk, we need to also long as Christians to be constantly fed the word of God. Why? Well, he says so we can grow. So we can grow in our faith as disciples. That's what Peter says there. He emphasized that further in 2 Peter. In 2 Peter chapter 1, you remember these qualities Peter talks about that every Christian must have? Remember, he talks about in 2 Peter 1 and verse 5, moral excellence. You add to your faith virtue, moral excellence, and you add to that knowledge, knowledge of the word of God. Verse 6, then you add to that self-control and, and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. And look at verse 8. In verse 8, he says, if these qualities are yours and increasing, you're growing in these things, they render you neither useless or, here it is, unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how Peter says, going back up to verses 5 and 6, that knowledge, knowledge of the word of God, continuing to grow in our knowledge, that is important for us to not be rendered useless and unfruitful in the kingdom of God. Peter begins this book talking about the need to continue to grow in our knowledge, and he ends the book in the same way. He bookends this book talking about knowledge of the scriptures. Look at the last verse of 2 Peter. and 2 Peter 3, verse 18. In 2 Peter 3, verse 18, he closes the book with one more admonition. But grow in the grace. In what? Knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear on this point, is it not? Oh, yes, the Bible is very clear. The Bible clearly tells us that if we're going to grow in our hearts, 
and our faith for Jesus Christ, then we got to grow in our knowledge. We got to constantly be learning. We have to be constantly watering our hearts with the word of God. We got to have an attitude that says, I'm not content. I'm not content with what I currently know about the Bible. I want to know more about the Bible. I want to read more about the Bible. I want to study more from the Bible. I want to keep growing in my understanding of the sacred text so that I can fill my heart up with the source of a faith that pleases God. The Bible says continuing to learn and grow in our knowledge of the scriptures, that is how we water our hearts. That is how we water the seed. That is how we cultivate a heart that pleases God. And thankfully, God providentially has provided us with so many different avenues to make to make a habit of being able to do this. In fact, and you should have knew this was coming, that's what our daily Bible reading is all about. That's what it's all about. You see, our daily Bible reading this year in 2022 from Luke and Acts is not about just reading the Bible. It is not about being able to merely check off some boxes on a little piece of paper and feel a sense of accomplishment at the end of the year. Above anything else, our Bible reading schedule this year is about learning. It is about learning the Bible. It's about learning about Jesus Christ and his church and how he expects us to conduct ourselves in his church. Our Bible reading schedule and those Bible reading summaries that you get every Sunday in your email. Well, those are designed to help us cultivate our hearts. Those are designed to help us water the seed in our hearts. And so are our Bible classes. So is the Genesis Bible class. So is the Sermon on the Mount Bible class. So are the sermons and the step-by-step -step videos that are posted to our website by Brother Brian every week. So are Brother Don Johnson's articles that he writes every week. So are the gospel meetings that we do. So will the, the summer Bible series be that we do later on this year for the first time in June. All that stuff is about learning. It's about watering and cultivating the field of our hearts. And if that's not enough stuff for you, to learn your Bible, well, I got something else you can do. You know what else you can do? You can get online and listen to some podcasts. Podcasts. We live in a time where podcasts are becoming a very effective tool to teach the Bible. I know of so many wonderful, sound, godly preachers. We have a bunch of podcasts going on right now. I mean, haven't you noticed that? Roger Shouse. And Jason Harden have a podcast called Heaven Bound that they do every single week. Brian Sheely, he has a podcast called Bible Geeks that he does. Edwin Crozier, you know Edwin Crozier? Mark Roberts, great preacher in Texas. Terry Francis, Philip Martin, Benjamin Lee, Aaron Kemple, Adam Shanks. All of these men are men that I know, men who teach the truth, men who love the Lord. They have wonderful, sound, edifying 
scripture, scripturally rich podcast and take advantage of them. Use this technology to glorify God. Listen to some podcasts while you're exercising, while you're making your coffee in the morning, while you're driving in your car. We're blessed to live in a time where we can hear the Bible read to us and we can listen to sound Bible teaching at any time we desire. Sound Bible teaching is literally, it's literally at the palm of our hands. And so go ahead and do that. Cultivate your heart by learning the word of God and also cultivate your heart by evaluating it with the word of God. You got to learn it and you got to evaluate yourself by it. Another way we could say that is as disciples, if we're going to cultivate a heart that pleases God, we got to make sure that we're putting into practice the things that we are learning. And James talks about that, doesn't he? When you go in your Bible to James chapter 1, please. James chapter 1, I want to start with verse 21. James 1 and verse 21. James says these words. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted. There's our first sermon right there. Receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Verse 22, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, that's the gospel there, the law of liberty, it liberates us from our sins and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. There in that text, James, James talks about two different kinds of people. He talks about the person who merely hears the word of God. And then secondly, he talks about the person who hears and does. He talks about the man who merely hears and then the man who hears and he does. According to James, it's not enough just to read the Bible. It's not enough just to study the Bible. It's not enough just to learn what the scriptures teach. We also got to do it. We got to apply it. We have to evaluate our hearts and make sure that the teaching from God's word is taking a firm root within us. That's what James is saying there. And that is especially what he means when he describes God's word as a mirror. You see, when you looked in the mirror this morning, as you brushed your teeth or combed your hair or put on your tie, that mirror you looked into showed you how you looked on the outside physically. But God's word, when you study it and read it, it shows you how you look on the inside. It shows you how you look spiritually. It shows you how your heart looks before God. It shows you what God sees when he looks into your heart. The question is, when God does Look into your heart. And he's fully able to do that. What does he see? What does God see when he evaluates the field of our hearts? Does God see someone who merely reads a bunch of scriptures and hears a bunch of sermons and comes to Bible classes and listens to podcasts? Or does he see someone who is doing all those things 
and it's also making application. Doing what the, what the scriptures say. Living the things that you are studying. When God looks into your heart, when he looks into your heart, does he see someone? Does he see the kind of Christian who will hear a sermon, maybe even listening to this sermon this morning, and instead of being quick to examine yourself and how this sermon applies to you, maybe you're the kind of Christian who's looking across the room and saying, I'm glad that person is there this morning. They need to hear that. They need to hear what the preacher is saying this morning. I'm glad they showed up on this Sunday. Is that how you think whenever the word of God is preached? I hope not, because that is wrong. That is so wrong, I can't even put words on it. It is so, so wrong. It is not how God intends his word to take hold within us. He doesn't want us looking around the room saying, I'm glad so-and-so is here because they need that. No, you need that. I need that. We all need that. And let me show you some scriptures to back it up. Let's go to Colossians again. We go back to Colossians. And remember in chapter 1 and verse number 10, in Colossians 1 and verse 10, after Paul talks about how we need to be filled up with the knowledge and the wisdom that comes from God, in verse 10 he says why that's so important. Remember in verse 10 he says, so that you will what? Walk. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I want you to remember that language, walk. Now, look at chapter 2. We go over to Colossians 2. Look at verse 6. In Colossians 2 and verse 6, Paul goes on to say, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so what? Walk. There it is again. Walk in him, having been firmly rooted. Isn't this what we're talking about? And now being built up in him and establishing your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Pay close attention to that language. Walk. Walk with Jesus. Walk in the Lord. That language that Paul uses there is one of his favorite metaphors to just talk about living for Jesus. Living for the Lord. Living a life that pleases God. Paul says that if we want to be firmly rooted and established in the faith, then we got to grow in our knowledge and we got to walk right. We got to walk with Jesus. This idea here goes perfectly with what James says when he says we got to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive ourselves. We got to evaluate ourselves every time we read, every time we study. Every time we hear a sermon or a Bible class, we got to learn, we got to evaluate, we got to do these things to our hearts, and then, thoroughly, we got to protect our hearts. Got to protect the field of our hearts. I'm pretty sure my big mama did that when she had that big, beautiful garden in Goodrich, Texas. I'm pretty sure that after planting seeds in her garden, if she was going to enjoy that produce and feed her family, but she was going to have to, to protect it. She was going to have to protect it from pests and overwatering and diseases and weeds and worms and many other things that can destroy a garden. You got to protect your garden if it's going to give you the kind of produce you desire. And the same is also true when it comes to the field of our hearts. 
The Bible makes that very clear in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I'm reminded of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5, where Paul says that as Christians, we need to take every thought captive. Remember that? To the obedience of Jesus Christ. Paul will further talk about that in Philippians 4 and verse 8. When he says that when it comes to the things that we dwell on or think about, they need to be honorable and right and pure and lovely and worthy of praise. And then in Psalm 119 and verse 9, the psalmist asked this question, how can a young man, how can a young person like this keep their way pure? Well, he answers that by saying by keeping it according to your word. And then look at Proverbs chapter 4, great passage in Proverbs, the fourth chapter, and in verse number 23. In Proverbs, the fourth chapter, in verse number 23, Solomon says, watch over your heart. There it is. <laughs> watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. The Holy Spirit tells us this over and over again. You see it? The Holy Spirit tells us over and over again that when it comes to our hearts, we have to guard them. We have to protect them. We have to do all we can to secure them and ensure that they are firmly rooted in, in the faith and fear of the Lord. Doing this, protecting our hearts, will certainly include protecting them against immorality, right? It would include protecting them from things like pornography and trashy movies and shows and even literature that is designed to do nothing more than pump ungodliness in our hearts. We got to guard our hearts against the immorality that our culture is saturated in. And we also got to guard the hearts of our kids. We got to guard and protect the hearts of our children. This includes doing things, and listen carefully to me, this includes doing things like monitoring, monitoring the kind of music that they listen to and the kind of movies that they're watching and keeping up with the kind of internet sites that they are visiting and making sure that they're never alone in the bedroom and on the internet. If we are living a life right now, if in our home, our kids, are spending time alone on the internet in their bedroom, that is some garbage that needs to stop and it needs to stop today. It needs to stop today. That is no different than letting a snake loose, a, a black mama loose in your house and just hoping you don't get bit by it at some point. It needs to stop right here and right now. That is not protecting the hearts of our kids. We need to monitor what they're doing on the internet. If they have any kind of social media pages, which my kids are not allowed to have until they turn 50. <laughs> well, they have any kind of social media pages. We need to have full access to that stuff, right? We need passwords. We need to be able to get into that anytime we desire. And when it comes to their friends, the, the people their age, they're hanging out with, oh, we're going to be involved in that too. Since you don't pay any bills, you don't pay your own cell phone bill, we're going to pick your friends for you. 
We're going to know who you're hanging out with. We're going to know who your friends are because we have a responsibility as your parents to make sure that you're hanging out with the right people, people who are not going to be pumping all kind of ungodliness in your heart. We got to protect the hearts of our children. And we also got to protect our own hearts against hypocrisy. We're going to have to protect our hearts against the corruption that doesn't match up with the actions that we're doing in front of people. For those of you in the Sermon on the Mount class, remember, we've talked about that. In Matthew 5 and verse 8, that is exactly what Jesus is talking about when he talks about blessed are the pure in heart. When Jesus talks about the pure in heart in that verse, he's talking about genuine hearts, authentic hearts. Hearts that are not full of hypocrisy like the scribes and the Pharisees had. We got to make sure that our hearts line up with the things we're doing in front of people. We got to guard against hypocrisy. And we need to say something about false teaching. You know, one of the main reasons why so many of God's children leave the Lord, and I'm saying leave the Lord. I'm not a big fan of that language, leave the church. I like saying what the problem really is, leaving the Lord. One of the reasons why so many of God's children leave him, leave the Lord, is because they don't guard their hearts against false teaching. They don't guard their hearts against preachers who speak lies and are really nothing more than workers of Satan. Jesus warned us about this in Matthew 7 and verse 15 when he says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. This concept is a big part of Peter's letters. The letter of Jude is a big theme in John's epistles. And then notice what Paul said to Timothy, please, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. We got to go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we got to start with verse number 1. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, Paul says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is a judge of living and the dead, and by his appearing in kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Look at verse number two. In verse two, Paul talks about me. He talks about my responsibility before God as a preacher. My job as a preacher is to preach the truth. It's to preach the truth whether people want to hear it or whether people don't want to hear it. It's to give people a full balanced diet of the word of God. Use the word of God to encourage them. Use the word of God to rebuke and correct them. Paul talks about the job of the preacher in verse number two. But then in verse number three, he talks about your job. Talks about the job of the hearer. He says the job of the hearer is to listen. It is to guard against having itchy ears. It's to guard against having a desire to find religious teachers or preachers who will tell you what you want to hear instead of telling you what God wants you to hear. Paul says guard against those who don't teach sound doctrine. Guard against those who don't teach sound doctrine when it comes to critical 
issues of salvation, issues like baptism and morality and the work and worship of the church and marriage, divorce and remarriage and heaven and hell and even the return of Jesus Christ. If we are going to avoid allowing the devil to infiltrate our hearts and weaken our faith and contaminate the seed which has already been planted within us, then we got to guard it. We got to guard our hearts against immorality. We got to guard the hearts of our children. We got to guard against hypocrisy and false teaching. And then finally, I'm going to leave you with this. We also got to trust. We got to trust God. I mean, we can't expect to be firmly rooted in a relationship with God if we don't first trust God. I mean, that's just common sense. And look at what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3. You know that these are some of my favorite verses in the Bible. In Proverbs chapter 3, beginning with verse number 5, the wise man Solomon wrote these words in Proverbs 3 and verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with not some of your heart, all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. These verses are commonly called the verses for any season. The verses for any season. I don't care what you got going on in your life. You're about to get married. You need to trust God. You just got married, you need to trust God. Just had a baby, about to have a baby, you need to trust God. Just lost a loved one, just lost your job, just got a new job, about to go off to college. Whatever you got going on in your life, these verses are for you. You need to trust God. You need to trust in God's word, trust in God's promises, trust in God's goodness. Trust in the goodness of God. This was something that David the man after God's own heart did in his life. This is how he cultivated the field of his heart. Look at Psalm 23 in verse 6, please. You know, this is one of the most, probably the most famous Psalm, Psalm 23. And after David talks about the Lord being his shepherd and how the Lord is with him even as he walks through the valley of the shadow of death. And Psalm 23 in verse 6, he says, Surely goodness, goodness, talking about God's goodness, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Notice how after David acknowledges how God is his shepherd, and God is with him, and walking with him through the valley of the shadow of death, David acknowledges the goodness of God. He acknowledges that no matter what he may have been going through in his life, no matter what stage he may have been at in his life, he was always going to trust in the goodness of God. He was always going to trust that God was with him, that God was always watching over him, and God always knew what was best for his life. David trusted in the goodness of God, and we need to do that also. I need to do that. You need to do that. If we're going to guard the field of our hearts, then we got to be firmly rooted in a deep trust in God. we got to trust God when we pray. We got to trust God when we're suffering and how God can use our suffering to accomplish some good in our lives. We got to trust the process God has ordained to grow us in the faith. 
We got to trust that as we continue watering our hearts with his word and as we continue evaluating and applying his word and as we continue trying to protect our hearts from the sinful weeds. One time the crop is going to come. In time, the promise of God is going to come to pass. In time, we're going to bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, some 100-fold. Well, I just want you to see, it's like any garden, like any field, like my big mama's garden. Cultivating the field of our hearts, it takes a lot of work. It takes patience. It takes watering, evaluating, protecting, and trusting. These are the things we got to do to cultivate our hearts, and for those who may be wondering, well, what specific kind of produce is going to come from doing those things, let me say that we're going to talk about that next month. We're going to talk about that next month. Remember, we're in the process right now. We've talked about the initial step, planting the seed. Today we talked about the habits, the entrenching habits we need to do to make sure that seed grows properly, and next month we're going to talk about the produce. We're going to talk about the fruit of our labor, the blessings that will come, when God gives the increase. We'll talk about that next month, Lord willing. But for now, I just want to close. I just want to close by asking you to evaluate your heart. Will you evaluate your heart, please? Is your heart right with God? Is your heart right with Jesus? If it's not, then it's time to get your heart right with God. It's time to make sure that you love the Lord, that you understand that God is sovereign, that he is above you, and you need to obey him this morning before it's too late. You need